Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems that you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapeer.com. So welcome to Master Your Mind with Marissa. This is one of my first podcasts and I, I had to have you on because... I greatly admire you. So for those who don't know Lewis Howes, how could you not know Lewis? Lewis is a best-selling author, a lifestyle entrepreneur, a high-performance business coach, and the host of The School of Greatness, the Apple Top 100 podcast that I've been on twice. Yes. And that's where we met. We met on your podcast, and we became great friends. Absolutely. Ever since. Yeah, it's been fun. Was that three years ago, maybe? No, not even two years ago. Really? Because I was just buying my house in LA, I think, when I came on your podcast. And then I came on the second one. Last Not year. even last year. Yeah, last yeah. year. And you came and spoke at the Summit of Greatness, and oh, you were yes. one of our favorite speakers. Fun. People loved you. In Ohio, yeah. And then, of course, I came to your film premiere. Yes, yes. Which has left me with the basis of a lot of the questions I want to ask you today. And the first one is, because, of course, your story is the American dream. You were an American football player. That's every American boy's dream. <laughs> and then you got injured, and mm. it was no longer your dream, and... People always want to know, how do you come back from adversity? When you reach the dream, and then the dream bursts, how do you come back? How do you get over that? And how do you come back and be successful again? Yeah, I can share how I did it. Mm. uh, For me, it was about a year and a half of breakdown and confusion and maybe a little depression, sleeping on my sister's couch, unsure and unclear what I wanted to do. So what I did is what I knew best, which is sports. What do I need to be a great athlete, I need to have a great coach. So at that time, I started looking for mentors and coaches to guide me in life, in business, and just being a, a better man, all these things. I was 23, 24 at the time. And so first step for me was finding mentors with a model that I could mimic, finding a mentor that had some type of life or business or career that I could model and mimic myself. And I found three of those men early on um, to kind of coach me and guide me and give me feedback. That was step one. The second thing was just figuring out, okay, I need to shed this identity that I was living in. I was holding on to being this athlete and living this dream. The dream has died. I can't keep holding on to something that's Mm. dead. I need to grieve it. I need to experience the loss, the death, and let it go and move on into something else and recreate a new vision for my life. That was really hard for me, creating a new vision. Yeah. Uh, just because it was something that was the only thing I focused on. The only thing I thought about was playing sports. And to have that end at 23, at least at 35, you go ahead at 12 years. <laughs> exactly. How many years did you have of success? I only had a year. Yeah, I mean, a that year playing professionally. Year. I mean, wow. I played years, four years in sure. college, and then I played professionally for one year, but I got injured as a rookie. Yeah. So it was, you know, when the dream gets cut short, it's challenging. It's sad. There's a loss. There's an yeah. identity loss. There's a dream loss, all these things. For me, I took it really challenging and really hard. Uh, But recreating a new vision, having some guides and mentors Mm. to support, to have a model to see, okay, that's something that I could be inspired by, what they've created 20 years away from now. It's something that could be interested in. They have this skill. They've built that business. They have this family life. Okay, there's something I can hold on to and think about. Uh, And creating a vision, what do I want for this next year? So I started just getting clear on, okay, some goals, some simple goals. Mm. I want to get off my sister's couch. Yeah. What do I need to do? I need to make $3,000 a month. How do I do that? And breaking that part down, um, 
that was the first couple steps for me. And then I really started to think of what are, as an early on in my teens, I, I started creating a fear list. A fear list. A fear list. Okay. And in order for me to become more fearless, I, I need to write down my biggest fears, my biggest insecurities, my biggest shames, and then create an experience or some type of uh, challenge to go all in on my biggest fears until the fear disappears. Because I can't be fully in my power and confident if I have all this shame and insecurity. And so every year I think about it, what is my biggest fear, my biggest shame, my biggest insecurity, my biggest embarrassment that I've yet to overcome? I make a list and then I go tackle those things. And those give me more confidence, more skills, more tools to be a better human. So what is your biggest fear right now, today? Uh, Right now, well, the thing that was my biggest insecurity, I should Mm -hmm. say, I feel like I've conquered a lot of fears uh, in the last eight to 10 years specifically, but the biggest insecurity this year was was more of like something I've been letting myself, I haven't been proud of, of myself for the last 20 years. 20 years ago, I started taking Spanish class in high school and really enjoyed it, but I was horrible at it. And I didn't pick it up quickly, something I struggled with. And as an athlete, I'm used to picking things up quickly, Hmm. naturally getting it, being good at things quickly. Um, But that's never happened with Spanish. But every year for the last 20 years, I've said to myself, this is the year I'm going to learn it. And I find some app or book or whatever, it gets too challenging, and then I stop and I give up. For 20 years, I've given up. But there's still something inside me that wants to learn Spanish. But I'm insecure and afraid because I know that I'm not good at it. I know that I'm going to look silly. I'm going to sound stupid. I'm going to stutter over my words when I try it and practice it. And so I said, okay, for 20 years, I've regretted this. At the end of every year, I regret that I didn't do Spanish. And then I say I'm going to do it the next year, and I don't do it. So I keep... Like I'm out of integrity with myself. I either need to kill this dream and let it go mm-hmm. and not think about it, or I need to go all in on it until I'm not afraid of it anymore. So I finally said I'm finding someone, I'm paying them in advance, someone who can teach me and mentor me who can teach me Spanish. And about six months ago, I started it, and it's been miserable. It's been miserable. It's been extremely challenging and hard. But I tell you what, something happened a couple of weeks ago because I keep showing up every morning, three times a week for an hour, and I feel like I'm not going anywhere. A couple of weeks ago, I started to get it a little bit, and I was like, oh, I'm actually able to put some things together. And I'm like, okay, if this takes five years, it's gonna take five years. It may not happen overnight. It's not going to. But I'm proud of the effort and the work I'm putting in, and I don't care if I look silly in front of my teacher and these things like I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm proud of the effort. So for me, that's been a fear. It's like a different level of fear now. Yeah, and it's so weird that you think of looking silly because most people find when you can't say their language, they find it enchanting. It's like when people yeah. try to, when French people speak English and when English is French and we get it wrong, most people find that really enchanting. They love the fact that you made an effort, even if the effort doesn't quite work. Right. So that's interesting that you would fear looking silly. I think it was always a fear growing up of like being embarrassed in front of my classmates because I would speak. uh, Our teachers would ask us to read aloud and I couldn't read. I couldn't read in middle school, high school. I was struggled a lot with reading and writing. So I think I was just insecure when it came to like books and learning and things like that, challenging subjects. 
So it kind of reminds me of being back in high school when I got made fun of a lot. Yeah. And so it's okay. I haven't dealt with this yet. I haven't overcome this yet. Let me go all in on it. And no one identified that. I remember years ago, I was working with a very famous footballer. And he said to me, you know, you've changed my life and it's thanks to you. I said, oh, could you write that for uh, Write me a little testimonial. And he said, you write it. I said, no, you write it. He said, no, <laughs> you write it and I'll sign it. I said, I'd oh. rather you wrote it. And he said, I can't I write. Wow. I was really shocked. He said, well, you know, I was going to be a famous footballer. I left school at 14. My family knew at seven I'd be an athlete, so I never bothered at school. And he said, and um, I can't write. And I was so shocked that, A, he couldn't write, but B, that the school... Didn't, I mean, that's not his fault, but how could a school not pick that up in a child and would just let them coast through and not realize he couldn't write and, of course, he couldn't really read? But did your school do? They just didn't notice. They weren't tuned no, into that. Or were you good I, at hiding it? I was very good at lying and cheating mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and copying people's homework. I was very good at this, which I'm not proud of, but I had to survive. Yeah, but that's smart. When I went into eighth grade, they started testing us uh, and... I had a second grade reading level when I went to eighth grade. So I just remember being in eighth grade saying, oh, I'm stupid. Mm. I'm dumb. I can't read. I would say these things to myself. Yeah. And I'm never going to be good enough in school. Like all these things. So obviously, you know, using that language and thinking and believing it didn't support me. But luckily, the school I went to put me into uh, tutoring right away. Like they were either like, we're going to have to hold you back a few grades or you need to go in these classes, like these extra tutoring Mm. classes. So during lunch breaks, I was with a tutor when everyone was at like lunch and recess. Uh, I had to go in early after school. I remember my senior year in high school, my English teacher, I was failing senior year English. And she was like, Lewis, you can't go play football in college if you don't pass senior year English. Mm-hmm. Like you, they won't let you get it. You know, you can't apply to school if you don't pass this. And she would work with me every day after class until I got a passing grade. I wasn't great but i got a passing grade and so i had that support throughout all of high school and college just to finish and graduate and it's so amazing how your childhood stays with you You can be the most successful famous drop dead gorgeous person in the world but that residue of what you lived as a child is often in the room with you people are always shocked about that how many people who are famous are insecure Uh nervous self-conscious waiting to find out that oh, you're not that successful person at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, For me, over the last, I guess, 10, 12 years, I've been able to overcome a lot of fears in business or marketing and around money and relationships. So every year there's new fears or Mm. insecurities that may come up that I get to conquer. And I just try to figure out what is the thing that's holding me back the most this year. Yeah. And every time I'm at a new level of life, there's going to be a different type of fear or insecurity that comes up. So I just keep trying to tackle those things so that they don't have power over me. But if you looked at all the fears, would you say they all have the same theme? That they're all a fear of being rejected or it's, looking stupid yeah, or it's, looking it's, silly? It's the fear of like being judged or mm. people making fun of me yeah. and stuff like that from childhood stuff, yeah. which I'm fully aware of. And I am am, ha- am able to laugh at myself and have people laugh at me, and I'm mm-hmm. much better at it now. But I think it's certain things related to, like, school. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, learning from a textbook, learning a language was a school subject. And so it's figuring out how do I make it more fun and enjoyable where it's not – I can mess up all day long, and it's not a big deal. So it's yeah. reframing it um, and – not beating myself up for for not figuring it out right away. It's not going to be something I'm going to learn in two weeks. It's a language. It's going to take time. 
and I'm not inv- I'm not immersing myself six months in another country. I'm doing three lessons a week. Mm. So it's it's understanding that this is the small wins on a daily basis. It's going to take years. It's going to take a lifetime to continue to maintain. But it, for me, I'm really proud of going all in on the fear and being consistent and having a coach and a mentor teach yeah. me and paying in advance so that I know I have to show up and have yeah. accountability and doing it and just being like, oh, look how far I've come in six months. Like, imagine what I'll do in another six months. So those little wins say, you know what? I'm proud of myself. I can do this. Yeah. And I think every year, it's for me, it's important to create a fear list and then go all in on the first couple so that you can become more fearless. And you're doing salsa as well, aren't you? Learning I've been doing salsa, salsa for too. a long time. That oh, was a you? huge fear. That Tell was me a, about that. That was probably one of the biggest insecurities because I started that in 2005, mm-hmm. 16 years ago, I guess. And I remember I went to this jazz club that my brother was playing at. He was a jazz violinist. And uh, they had salsa dancing at this jazz club one night. So I went back to check it out because I wanted to see what is this salsa dancing thing. And I only seen it on TV and movies. And I went there and I was blown away by it was pretty much all uh, Latin people who were salsa dancing. And I was this tall, white American guy standing over the crowd. And I was so intimidated. I was in awe and intimidated at the same time by how smooth these guys were, how beautiful these women looked, and the artistry of salsa dancing. And I went back once a week for three months and I did not dance at all because I was so afraid. And I of, started. But what were you afraid of? I was afraid of, of looking bad. I was afraid Look, of. That same thing again. I was afraid of looking bad. I was afraid mm. of like messing up in front of people. I was Go afraid on. that I'd be laughed at by yeah. everyone else because I'm not. I don't know this culture. I'm trying to like learn this stuff where everyone's a pro, it looked like. And I also didn't want to make the girls look bad. I was mm. like, you dance with me, you're going to look horrible because mm. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I didn't want to make them look bad. I didn't want to look bad. And I was afraid of getting laughed at and judged. That's been always my biggest fear, yeah, judge, the judgment of other people. That. And it's less and less now. But And I remember one girl eventually was like, that I got to know a little bit, she was finally dragged me out on the dance floor after three months of going there every week, pulls me out. I'm in the middle. It's like in the middle of a scene of a movie or something. I'm in the middle. It takes me in the middle of the dance floor. All these people dancing around me. The music is going. And she's like, just follow my basic step. And we did the basic step for the next 20 minutes. I just stared down at my feet for 20 minutes and it was like sweating, sweating. I was like, man, I'm so horrible, I'm bad. I'm like stepping on her feet. She's like smiling and having fun and I'm just so tight, like afraid. And then she she stops me and she goes, Lewis, look up. And I look up, she goes, look around you. And I look around me and the most amazing thing, no one was looking at me. No No one cared, everyone was dancing and having fun. And if anything, they might have been like, oh, okay, like, oh, he, he's a beginner. He doesn't look that good, but let me go back to dancing and having fun. They, yeah. they weren't talking about me. No one cared. If anything, they're probably like, good for him. Yeah, you know, cool. Good for I mean, trying. I used to teach yoga, and I would say to people, don't look in the mirror. Most <laughs> you shouldn't have a mirror in yoga. And no one's looking. They're all too busy trying to do their own tree, trying to stand <laughs> up, trying to put their right. leg behind their ear. I mean, they're not looking at you. Yeah. That's not what it's about. But then people say, I can't go to the gym because I'm not fit enough I to work know. out. I can't go to a class because I'm able to get it right. I couldn't go to Zumba. But 
No one's looking at no you. They're cares. far too busy. They don't care. It's like I love that story. The people who care don't matter, and the people who matter don't care. That's it. Because people just salute you for trying, for turning up, for having a go, and dancing is about fun. But twice in the first 10 minutes, you've mentioned that same fear, the fear yeah. of getting it wrong, of looking silly, of being mm-hmm. laughed at. But I also know you've taken up boxing. So I did. That was another thing that. that I took up this year as well because... I was like, I need a new challenge. I'm, you know, I've done lifting. I've done all these different things. But I was like, I feel like I need a new challenge where I have a beginner's mind. Mm -hmm. Because when I started salsa dancing, when I started uh, Spanish about six months ago, like anytime I start something new that I'm afraid of or that I'm not good at, I just know that I gained so much confidence in Mm -hmm. that journey of applying that skill, of learning that skill. So I've done, yeah, almost 10 sessions. And it's... It's amazing because when what I did is I said, I need the best trainer I can find. So I found an amazing British guy who lives here who is an Olympian for London or for, for the UK and um, a professional fighter. He's an amazing trainer. And I said, I need to find the best mentor because it'll accelerate my learning curve and yeah. I'll gain more confidence quickly. And the first few sessions, I was horrible. I mean, I looked so bad, terrible, tight, like all these things. My footwork was off. It felt like I was salsa dancing again for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like I went again today and I feel like, man, I'm just getting better every time. Yeah. Because I'm coachable. I'm taking feedback. I've invested in it. I keep showing up and I'm just enjoying the little wins. Yeah. And again, he's not, no one's looking at you to see what you're doing wrong. No. They're looking to see what you're doing right. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's a question for you because you have this fear of looking silly, but you've written two books. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you did that, because most people who write, when they're writing, think, oh, gosh, I hope it doesn't get rejected. What if nobody likes it? And people yeah. think writers just sit down and write, and a lot of writers really struggle with how the audience is going to perceive what they're writing, even as they're writing it. And a lot of writers, amazingly, dump 80% of what they've written and keep going back and doing it again. Really? Yeah. Uh, how did I do it? So I tell th- me how you wrote your first book. I think I've always been more inspired and led by creating and my goals than my fears Mm -hmm. so even if i'm afraid i feel like eventually i'll do what it takes to overcome it to by putting something out Mm. there and i think the book would have been a dream of mine for many many years probably six or seven or maybe eight years where i was like one day i want to write a new york Times bestseller and i want to prove to myself that a dumb kid who couldn't read and write that well can go do something like this. And that drove me. I was like, I want to prove this to myself, but I want to create something that serves other people. And I think I was a little, even then, that was back probably like, what was that, six years ago now, the first book. I was definitely reactive to negative reviews. Yeah, that I was first book. to ask you that. So- the first book, I was more, I was like, gosh, this person has no clue how much effort I went into this, what I created here, who are they? So I definitely had a defensive mind. And I learned quickly after that book to stop trying to defend myself Mm. with my work. Yeah. I had another coach who saw me, this was probably five years ago, maybe six years ago, around that time, I was very defensive on Twitter or Instagram comments or whatever. Anytime someone critiqued me, it was like I had to convince them that they were wrong. And he saw this one day and he called me and he was like, Lewis, why are you engaging in these negative comments? Mm. Why are you trying to defend yourself? Just you're wasting your time and energy trying to defend yourself. Just thank them for the feedback and move on. Or don't reply. Yeah. Either one. 
But defending a negative comment is not going to do you any good. It's only going to hurt you more. Yeah. Focus on the people that are inspired. Take the feedback and see if there's anything true there and apply it if it makes sense. But otherwise, don't engage. So I've learned over many years of like pain and, you know, holding on to this like defensiveness that it doesn't work for me anymore. So it took yeah. a while. I know when, when, when I'm, was it? Yeah, when my first book came out, it got so many amazing people wrote to me and said, you're paying for these reviews. It's not possible. How could you have all your, this is all paid for. You bought all these reviews. So when I got a bad one, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I've got a horrible one going, I hate that book and I hate the writer because now it's more balanced. It looks, so I, I was yeah, actually really, I thought, yeah, I, I need to pay one to give me a bad review <laughs> so that everyone would think I'd pay someone to give me all these good reviews. Right. But then you wrote a second book. Yeah. Knowing, of course, people think, people have this weird belief that if you become rich or famous or successful, your life's a dream. Mm -hmm. And that there is no more rejection, there is no more difficulty, there is no more issues. Struggle, yeah. And of course it's not true. And to write a book or put yourself anywhere in the public eye, like I, I work with a lot of actors, and I say, look, you have to be able to deal with rejection. Sometimes you get rejected. I mean, when my little girl was a baby, she, she was a model. She was so amazing. She had masses of hair. And they said, oh, no, she's too pretty. When you model baby clothes, the baby can't be cuter than the clothes. Oh so she got rejected for being, for being too, too pretty. pretty. Yeah, they, she did a lot of stuff, but she couldn't model baby clothes. They said, she's so gorgeous. They'll just look at the her and not the clothes. And then a few of my classes, that, you know, I went for a role, and they went, oh, no. Mm. When I called them up, they said, no, you were too beautiful. It was, you're not, you would outshine the leading lady. Wow. One of my clients got rejected from being a dancer with Kylie Minogue, and they, didn't, they said, you're too tall. Kylie's dancers can't be too tall. Madonna always dances with guy-backing dancers because she's not tall. Mm. But often we think, you don't like me. And someone says, well, I don't like you because you're too tall, too beautiful, too smart. But people don't see that. So obviously, when you read all the reviews and try to reason with somebody who's unreasonable and just doesn't yeah. like you for no other reason right. than they don't like you, what happened with the second book? Were you over that by then, or did you still go back and look at the reviews? No, I was more over that by then. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. I remember, I think I had another issue. For like a day, I was upset because the book didn't hit the New York Times list. And I was thinking, these people have no clue how much harder I worked on the second yeah. book and how much more meaningful it was and all these things. So I think for a day, I was like, oh, man, you know, I was kind of just bummed out that I didn't get the result. The expectation didn't mm. happen of what I was thinking. And then it took about a day or two until I was like, you know what? I need to get back to focusing on the mission, not about like me accomplishing yeah. the goal, but focusing on service. And that mentality shifted me back to not an expectation hangover, but okay, we're just going to keep helping people and see what happens from it. And you were really real about your childhood in that book. Absolutely, I mean, you, yeah. you took the lid off everything, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. What was that like, really exposing even the abuse this and was the a things scary, that happened to this you? This was the scariest thing I can think was that I've ever done, mm -hmm. was talk about being sexually abused. And I talked about it originally eight years ago in a a small group, an emotional intelligence workshop that I was in after like the second week. And I, it felt like death. It felt like I was about to die. Wow. Sharing, this is all I could imagine. It felt like if people actually knew this shame that I have, no one would ever love me, no one would ever accept me, no one would ever want to hang out with me, be my friend, they would outcast me. That was the internal mm. conversation. If they knew this shame and insecurity of mine. 
And so I think that's why I held on to it for 25 years until I found this, this, this workshop that I went to that created many, many moments for me to finally get to open up and kind of peel back the layer of my, mm. my emotions and my shame. And I did it once there and it felt after, after I shared it in this experience, so many of the men from the room who were in there came up to me afterwards and were like saying the most incredible things. Like you're yeah. my hero. You know, this happened to me when I was a kid or whatever. And I never had the courage to talk about it. Thank you for talking about it. You're giving me the courage. And many men shared that with me, which, which I felt like, okay, I feel safer sharing it to an, uh, an yeah. environment of people that had something, something mm. similar in common. But no one else can know about this. Mm. I still was insecure and worried about what people would think about me outside of this context. Like, what about my friends and family? Would they accept sure. me? What about my audience? All these things. After about six months, I realized I started sharing with it one by one to friends, family members, and I felt more and more free the more I talked about it. The more I felt like, oh, people accepted me. Or I'm accepting myself, whether they accept me or not. And I felt like the final thing I needed to do was talk about it publicly. And I don't recommend people share their shame publicly, but since I had a platform and I was talking mm. about these types of things with other people, I felt it necessary to open up on my podcast about it about seven years ago, I guess it was. And it's still the most downloaded thing and most you know viewed page yeah. on my website, this, me opening up about it. Sure. And... It was, again, it felt like another death. It felt like I'm going to die. But it was this. really another life. Exactly. It brought you to life because the basis of all friendship is we choose people who share our vulnerabilities. People really? don't seem to know that. The basis of all friendship is we pick people who share our vulnerabilities. When I have clients who come in and go, well, I just pretend I'm perfect. You know, I tell everyone I've got a great weekend. I'm so busy. And actually, I sit at home with my cat drinking vodka because I don't want to let anyone know that I'm lonely or sad. It's like, but then mm. that's how you make friends. We like people. Why is that? Why do like we connect us? with people that have like a similar shame or vulnerability or fear? Because they're real. You know, we like people who are real yeah. and authentic. And so people, in my experience, anyway, all of my clients who either are pretend to be perfect or appear to be perfect or without question the unhappiest but also the loneliest too really? I mean a lot of my clients will say you know my first wife was a model and that was like having a racehorse I mean the, the the amount of work and effort and money and now my wife is normal and it's such a relief <laughs> such a relief to just be with someone warm and normal Relaxed, and funny yeah. yeah so I think just people can't relate to someone who isn't real. You know, we look at people and we think, it's like when you go to school and you're a kid and you go, hey, do you, I like Barbie, I like Barbie, I like green pasta, I like green pasta. And then they go, I like you because you're like me and I'm like you. So even as children, we look. And then as we get older, we go, do you like that football team? Is that your favorite band? Is that your favorite show on Netflix? Oh, you're like me. And when people say, oh, I, I hated that shit. Oh, I never eat that. I, then we can't relate. So the mm. minute you open up and share your vulnerability, because we all have vulnerabilities, now you're real and people can relate. Right. And when you're not real, people can't relate. It's why yeah. we now like reality TV stars instead of the Hollywood icons, because we go, well, they're all messed up, really. So am I. So am I. <laughs> I like them, but... Yeah. We look at somebody like Elizabeth Taylor who appeared and we think, well, I can't relate to her because she lives in a world 
have impossible glamour. So it's really important. And I, I wish they teach that in schools. It's okay to be vulnerable. People like you more. Yeah, and the, the funny thing is that when I started opening up and sharing that, and I think there's a way that I feel like some people now are just over vulnerability online. Mm. It's almost like every day is, here's my sad story, like today. And I think there's like a way to do yeah. it, you know, an authentic way. Um, but But when I started to open up about it, it's almost like so many more things open up so many more people started following me yeah of course because you're real you're real so when people say oh let me share my sadness that's not real that's just like you feel sorry for me and I'll really milk this but when you suddenly open up about something people like that it's real and it makes you real because we we like people that are like us you know we forget that that's one of our most powerful needs is to connect we used to connect people who looked like us and acted like us and Mm -hmm. it's harder now because we live in such a multicultural world but yeah it's so i'm so pleased that you saw the minute you were vulnerable and exposed your shame people said oh i like you more now it was weird which i thought everyone would reject Mm. me i was like no one's gonna love me everyone will laugh at me yeah i can never share this because no one will accept me and, and that, it was the complete yeah. opposite. And yet that's the basis of AA, the basis of rehab. I mean, the success rate of AA is really about people connect. Mm. I thought it was the only person in the world who sold my kid's doll's house to buy alcohol. You did too? Oh, not only do I like <laughs> you, I feel better about myself. I thought it was the only person who left my kids in the house all night and went partying without a babysitter. You did that as well? You made me feel better about myself, and now I like you. Mm. Yeah. So the more we share these things, yeah. the more people can relate. Yeah. yeah, and yet people are so busy hiding them. Let's pretend to hide everything and pretend I'm perfect and I'm great. And then we see them fall apart because there is no perfection. And you can only ever be you. And I tell everyone, look, you're a flawed person. You're going to have a flawed relationship with a flawed person. That's the best you can ever get in the world, <laughs> a flawed person meeting a flawed person and having a flawed relationship. But when you can do that, it's so nice because you have to stop that. You're free of that. I've got to pretend that mm. I'm perfect and you might be disappointed. But when you yeah. know that we're all flawed, you can never be disappointed. Right. So here's a question that fascinates me because you've talked about this fear of looking silly, getting mm-hmm. it wrong, making a mistake, which of course is nothing more than the fear of being rejected, the most common fear in the world, because not long ago we understood one thing. If I, to make it in life, I've got to find connection, avoid rejection. I've got to belong to the tribe. So how do you deal with the haters? Because even I find that strange. Mm. You go out there and you think, hey, I'm going to teach somebody something nice, share something that helps. When someone comes online and says something really like, mean and spiteful yeah. and, and so far from who you are so i'd love to know what you do with the haters the real vicious ones um you know i really i used to take it very uh defensively and want to win them over in these things mm. and, and make them wrong yeah and now i realize i just can't do that and i need to focus on the people that i am supporting the people mm. that my message is lifting up and if someone's really hating on something is there any truth in there? Yeah. Is there anything that's like, you know what? Like I saw a bunch of comments on one of my videos recently on YouTube, a lot of negative comments that is like, you're interrupting the person too much. And if it's one or two times, I'm going to be like, okay, maybe it doesn't work for me. But if it's a bunch of times, okay, mm. maybe there's some truth there. Yeah. 
And I get excited and I interrupt people sometimes. I'm like, well, tell me more. Yeah, of course. Okay, if it's not working for the majority of people, then maybe there's some truth and maybe I can try that next time better. But I don't need to get defensive anymore because it's wasting my energy. So I really, when someone's super vicious, I just ignore it now. Yeah. I just really ignore it or I say, thank you for the feedback. And for me, that, that helps me stay true to my mission and not spend all this time and energy on something that's not supporting yeah. me. I find it's great to share it. I tell people, oh, guess what someone <laughs> said about me? <laughs> that's good. They said that you shouldn't wear those shirts. You're far too old and mm. stop waving your hands around and who do you, and your English accent and you speak too slow. Yeah. I probably do speak too slowly. But I find that if you share with them, go, guess what someone said about me today? It obviously can't affect you because you're sharing it. Right. Like I told everybody, this it's woman funny. who wrote to me and said, you're so old and why don't you dress your age? I'm like, oh, you know, I always thought a silk shirt was kind of ageless. But but it's if you share it, well, that's good. it really takes the energy out because you're sharing and you're saying, guess what happened? And this person said I that. I think it's funny, and, yeah. You can yeah, laugh with it. Yeah. I did, we did this, uh, I don't know, maybe four months ago. We did a, a video that I posted with like 20 nasty things about me that people mm. said kind of like jimmy fallon does his oh mean yeah tweets. isn't it great we did that ourselves and i could just laugh at them yeah. and just put it out there and i think people were just like laughing with me and like oh this is funny and we like you more yeah because you can talk about it openly it's yeah, not because you're being vulnerable again yeah. you're not pretending and also you'll find that when you share other people come and go, i can't believe somebody said that they clearly don't crazy know you. yeah and then, they and then go, you think oh, i feel better now <laughs> yeah. i feel so much better exactly so it's interesting that you've had this fear of being rejected mm-hmm. that you've had all your life. When do you think it will go away? I think there's always going to be new levels of it. Yeah. You know, I feel like in my business, I, I don't know, there's, I don't feel a rejection, like a fear of rejection there, but that's why I keep looking for it myself because mm. I don't want to feel it reactive to anything. I never want to get too comfortable. I always want to be putting myself in a situation where I don't feel comfortable mm. because I don't want to be rejected by that. That means I need to go do that thing. Yeah. And if I'm always thinking ahead of it and trying to apply that, then it's not going to hold me back. And so I don't know. I'm, I feel really good. About, like if my girlfriend rejected me, I actually feel pretty good. You would? Why is that? I mean, I think because I've gotten to a place, maybe it's my age, maybe it's from like just past breakups and pain maybe it's from just healing trauma and mm. all these things the journey that i've been on yeah i just feel like i'm finally okay with myself i finally mm. accept myself for who i am and if something doesn't work out or if someone rejects me then it wasn't meant for me yeah and they don't know you either yeah and it wasn't the right fit and i wish them well and i'll find something yeah. that's a better fit that's a better match so i think i've just gained a lot of perspective in that where it's like, I want to be happy. I'm ha- I'm happy with my own company. I'm happy alone. I don't yeah. need a lot of things. If I lose all my money, like I can be happy alone. And that knowing and that, that presence around that energy, I just feel a lot more confident if I get rejected. And so that's why I'm not afraid of it as much yeah. anymore. Yeah, I'm really pleased to hear yeah, that. Yeah, because I yeah. just am like... Because the only way to be really be rejected, the only person who can really and truly reject you is you. People can say things that are mean and right. hurtful, but you don't have to let them in. They're having a bad day. 
So your mind, when other people are mean to you, can always rush, oh, they're having a bad day. Right, exactly. They've just been dumb. Exactly. They've, ha- they've just got fired. But when you reject you, the mind can't rationalize because it must be true. That's the worst thing. It's the worst thing to reject yourself. But, of course, no one has the power to reject you except for you. And yet people are so bad. I look awful in this. I sucked at that. Mm-hmm. I messed that up. That was terrible. I could have done better. I should have prepared. I'm such a loser. Right. And so the, we can deal with other people's rejection because we can rationalize they're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. But when we do it ourselves, it, it really goes in. So have you stopped doing that to yourself? Yeah. Well, that's good. So yeah. it doesn't matter about everyone else as long as you've stopped doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And it's a practice. It's a daily practice. Yeah, you know? It is. It, it takes a while. It starts off being what you do and then like everything, like boxing or salsa. Right. Eventually, it becomes who you are, and you can do. You stop. It stop. You stop thinking about it, and you just it's automatic. Do it. Yeah, it's automatic. What's the thing that uh, at your stage of your life that you're still afraid of, or your fear of rejection, or insecurity, or shame? Yeah, shame, insecurity. You know, for me, it's interesting because I've just got in this situation where we went to England. Our lovely house got completely flooded, um, had to be totally refurbed. And, and we just actually moved from a house in London to an apartment. I said to my husband, I don't want to deal with builders for five more years. We are not <laughs> doing anything to this house in L.A. Yeah. I never want to see a builder. Um, and so lo and behold, it got flooded. And what I've noticed is I walk down to meet them every day singing that song by Bob Marley, Everything Little Things, Gonna Be mm. All Right. Because it's always like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. Oh, this is hell. This is driving me crazy. This builders made me want to rip my hair out. And I notice that I don't do that. I go, this is a, yeah, this is a situation. This is a challenge. This guy. It's a compulsive liar, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm so pleased that I do that because it hasn't been easy at all. I mean, like three weeks ago, it's like, you know, this is a two-month job. We're seven months in. It doesn't look like anything. It's like there's one person painting away. Mm. It's like, but you, you just have to get to that stage of not using negative language. So what I'd be afraid of... Mm since you asked me, is actually doing the opposite because then I'd be a fake because I'm always telling people, look, it's not the event, it's how you feel about it. It's not what happens, it's how you describe it. It's when you go, this is a nightmare, this is hell on earth. This is ruining my life. Yeah, so I'd be afraid of being a fraud and not walking my talk. But also I understand, hey, I'm walking to my $5 million house that's being refurbed on the insurance company in this Los is Angeles, someone's yeah. fantasy right. dream country. I'll swap. You know, I sort of had to stop telling people because you think, what have I, I haven't got any problems. What am I complaining about? The insurance company rented me a nice house on a nice canal with nice neighbors. But I would be really, my biggest fear would be, I think my biggest fear would be illness, mm. followed by not walking my talk, not being congruent, mm. practicing preaching one thing and doing another being out of integrity yeah. yeah so a lot of my friends are relationship experts so you know it's it, people think you have the best relationship in the world and they always come to the restaurant just from having a screaming fight with my husband and go well, i thought your life was perfect so i think yeah that would probably be my only fear my only big fear yeah yeah are you afraid of rejection at all or no do you know i'm really not because i because i realized that the only person you can really reject me is I can look at them and go, oh, my God, you look terrible. But I wouldn't ever do that. So I'm not scared of rejection. I'd be more scared of loss than rejection. 
Lost, like losing family, yeah, friends, somebody dying, people, yeah. somebody getting sick. You know, I had a, I lost my mother, my father, and my be- and one of my dearest friends all in the same three months. But you know, it wasn't actually as hard as I thought it would be because my dad was when he was dying was saying I've had a lovely life. My mum mm. was saying the same thing. My friend, it was harder. But loss is harder to come back from. You can, when you get rejected, you can find someone else that doesn't reject you. Goes, oh, that's not true. They don't even mm. know you. Don't listen to them. It's like going home to your mum and going, "Mom, my boyfriend doesn't." Because well, he's an idiot. Doesn't know what he's Lots missing. Of guys out there, yeah. Yeah, but loss is much harder, and all pain is linked to loss. I, really? I guess with you, it's that loss of face, looking silly. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd be much more worried about losing something like Mm. losing my husband or yeah people I love getting ill but Mm. I don't focus on that too much but yeah that I wouldn't I don't fear rejection I guess also you know you know we do when you stand on stage every day and speak to thousands of people you can't do that if you fear rejection it wouldn't be possible Yeah. yeah you have to get on there and do it and when you write books someone's gonna write and go i hate your book no matter what and i hate you and i hate the way you dress i hate everything you say and you just go okay that's fine someone said to me you're just tony robbins in a skirt i'm like well that that's not necessarily a bad thing no no but nothing you do is original but i know my stuff is original so i didn't let that in right because that's what people don't understand it's letting it in as a choice Mm. You get to choose. Someone said something. Or should I let it in or go, oh, you're having a bad day. Yeah. You're not a happy person. When somebody, one particular person who's decided to attack me, I, I always think of it as that poor girl, that poor girl. Mm. They're going, where is that horrible person? Let me see. And I go, that poor girl. I wonder what that poor girl is doing. Because it, it makes me feel different about her. Instead of thinking, wow, that horrible person who wants to write things that I'm just with that poor girl, so unhappy. Mm. What a shame to live yeah. like that. Because no one says, my life is so great. Who can I diminish today? <laughs> right. You have to imagine the life of someone who is a troll. I'm going to wake up, go to open my laptop and go, who can I make feel absolutely horrible about themselves? To try to make myself feel yeah. better. Yeah. But it's because they feel so bad anyway. Their, their reasoning is, I feel bad. My life's miserable. I want your life to be miserable too. And now I feel equal to mm. you. So a miserable man finds a more miserable man. Then he feels a bit better. We should actually say miserable. A miserable person tries to hang out with a miserable person and they feel better. But here's another question yeah. for you. And it's a very important question in a world where, you know, you kind of work for yourself. You're your boss, you're mm-hmm. your own HR, you're your own uh, feedback how do you motivate yourself when you don't have someone cracking the whip behind you? It's going to kind of sound weird, but I just feel like ever since <clears> I was younger, <throat> I've always had something inside. It's like been drawing me to create mm. more, be more, do more. Mm. And I still have that feeling every day. Like I'm not finished. Mm. Like something's not finished and life is like could be over in a moment. Yeah. Like it can be over tomorrow. Would I be proud of myself of what I've, who I've become, what I've created, um, the human being that I am? Am I proud of myself now? Yes, but I also have a lot more that I want to create. Yeah. And so it's a yes and. And it's like, okay, so I live in an urgent state of mind. Good. So that I can just be happy. If something happens to me, you know what? 
I've given my all. I've given everything that yeah. I can at the stage that I'm at, and I'm happy with that. As opposed to, like, the reason why I started picking up Spanish um, about six months ago is because I really was just like, if I die today, I'll be that'll be the thing I'm not proud of. Mm. That I've been thinking <clears throat> about wanting to do this for yeah. twenty years. Yeah, and it got too hard. Yeah, yeah. I made the excuse of time. Uh, I was afraid of looking silly. Uh, it was just like so much energy. These excuses I kept living with for 20 years mm. made me sick inside. Yeah, of course. Like made me feel like out of integrity with myself. Mm. And that's why I was like, I either need to not <clears throat> be drawn to this dream anymore and kill it, die. It needs to die or mm. I need to go all in. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I don't want to die this year or in 70 years, 50 years and keep that dream inside that yeah. never came out of me, or at least tried. And if I do this for a year or two, and I'm like, you know what? I actually don't care about it anymore. Great. Then I can stop, because I don't care. But I still care. Yeah. I still want to do it. And so that's what makes me continually creating more, building more, doing more, being more, and overcoming more, because it just feels like it's inside of me, and it's got to yeah. come out. And Wayne Dyer said it's so wonderful, and he said, don't die with your music still inside yeah. you. Such a, a poignant thing to say because I remember thinking, you know, I really need to crack on and create my school. And I remember him saying that. And of course, then sadly, he did die. But he, right. but his music, crea- yeah, he sang for years, decades. Yeah, he, yeah, his music was definitely out of him. And of course, when you create something, your energy goes on forever. So mm. you can still listen to Wayne or listen to Frank Sinatra, and the energy is still there. So you have. Um, what's what I call the bounce back factor. Mm. Like, you know, I said, you've got to be like a big rubber ball. How good is your bounce back? If you want to work for yourself and have your own podcast, yeah. your own audience, <clears throat> your own book, and your own startup, you must be able to have the bounce back factor because success is not never failing. It's how fast you come back. Because every day in my business it feels like there's a problem you Does guys it? know i mean it feels like there's a breakdown yeah and it's my job it's never a smooth day yeah a lot of things can go well but there's always like uh but this we had a problem with this person today sure. or this and the person. bigger you get the more problems you yeah, get and the more yeah. people on your team there's more challenges sure. like people are coming and going and mm. training and legal stuff it's just like yeah oh, what is this problem this problem and i feel like the 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 more emotionally resilient that I can become, yeah. the faster I can bounce back. Yeah. It's when I haven't dealt with my traumas, my pains, my shames. Mm. I stick to the challenges more. Yeah. I analyze them more. I, I'm like, oh, uh, I get offended more. Yeah. When someone does something, I take it more personally as opposed to say, okay, this is unfortunate. This isn't fun. But what's the next steps? You know, less emotionally attached to this feeling attacked and more of like okay this sucks and let's move on yeah and of course understanding that the bigger a life you have the more problems you have and your problem is someone else's fantasy (laughs) dream dream Dream. i switch places with you lose i'd love to have your problem absolutely give me your platform give me the audience yeah all these things yeah so we have to be really careful i find that when I work with huge rock stars who complain, I always want to say to them, you know, <laughs> you're, you're trampling on someone's dream here. Oh, so difficult to have to fly around the world with a band. Oh, and it's so hard to be in front of 50,000 yeah, screaming you know, fans. I never and... have any time to myself. And I have met many of them who can't leave the hotel room. They can't go anywhere because they get mobbed. Mm-hmm. But you still can't complain about that. Yeah, and I also, I also like I can have compassion and empathy yeah. for people that have a lot of pressure, yeah. a lot of weight and responsibility. Yeah. 
because someone was saying to me yesterday, like, Lewis, you give so much. And I know the same is for you. It's like you give so much to so yeah. many people. You're, a, you're in service to mm. your audience, your team. There's a lot of responsibility. And he was like, who gives to you? Like, what do you give to yourself? And are you constantly finding ways to do that? Mm. So maybe a rock star, yeah, it's stressful or they have no loan time or this and that. It's like, okay, well, what can you create so you can fill yourself back yeah. up? What can you do to support yourself? Yeah, and I think we get a lot back. I mean, yeah. when you yeah, give, I mean, when you give, you receive. It's like, it's like taking a breath. If you give a breath, you have to take one. Mm -hmm. And if you take one, you've got to give one. And that's balance. So yeah. you can't really give without taking. You, you probably could take without giving. But when you're <laughs> in the business of helping people... Yeah. You give, and I get so many people come up and say, oh, you changed my life, you saved my life, I love your book, I love your YouTube channel. I always think I have the best job in the world because I get such lovely feedback, as you do too. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing, and that's why we do it, yeah. yeah so we, we do have the best job in the world. And I think that all of us are addicted to something in life. Yeah. And if we're going to be addicted to anything, it might as well be serving people. Yeah, is that what you're addicted to? I would think I'm thinking, yeah, because I'm not. A, I don't do alcohol or drugs or anything like that. I do like sugar, but mm. um, I think I'm probably addicted to growing, yeah, improving, and helping others. That's nice. Yeah, and I feel like you yeah. get a lot of happiness when you grow. Yeah, you do, and by helping other people. Well, that's we all have the same needs: you know, certainty, diversity, connection, significance, growth, and contribution. And mm -hmm. there aren't that many careers. Like, weirdly enough, hairdressers and plumbers meet all of those needs every day. Right. Because people give them such feedback and want them so much. Mm -hmm. But um, we were very lucky when you're in the business of helping people that you get connection, significance, growth, contribution. Every day is different. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's funny. You said you're addicted to Service? serving. And yeah. I would say I'm addicted to making a difference. I don't know if it's an addiction. Yeah. But it, yeah, as I, as I answer your questions, I'm answering mine. Yeah, making a difference. Yeah. It's a really nice thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to be addicted to anything, you might as well try to yeah. make an impact around the gift that you have. Yeah, and I always say, well, when I work with addicts, I go, look, it's okay to be an addict. Just get addicted to something good like Pilates <laughs> better, yeah. or yoga or water. You can choose a better addiction. Mm -hmm. Don't fight the oh, I'm an addictive personality. You can get addicted to anything. Rechannel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah get addicted it. to running, for instance, because that's very addictive. Absolutely. Or juicing. My husband, I got for a while, was very. I'd wake up in the morning and hear that neutral bullet going, and he was so addicted to it. It's good. But then he, I think it blew up, and that, that was the end of that addiction. So here's another question. Um, so you motivate yourself. This is my question. How do you motivate yourself when there's just you? You're you're running everything. Mm -hmm. so, but you kind of answered that. But but answer it again because so many people I see now want to have their own business. But their blocks are, I'm scared of failing. I'm scared of taking risks. Yeah. And how do I motivate myself? So I'm going to ask you, did you have that scared of failing, scared of taking risks and can't... My, my, fear, was, you know, my fear was judgment or rejection, yeah. opin op opinions of other people. Yeah. The fear of success and failure was not the Good. fear for me. Yeah. Because in sports, you... you you fail a lot in yeah. sports and in daily in practice, you're failing, you're dropping the ball, you're missing the shot, whatever you're, you're constantly failing. And that's your feedback loop. Okay. Mm. This is, I need information to improve in order to achieve. Yeah. And I'm going to fail in order to achieve. So I learned through sports early on that I wanted to succeed. I wasn't afraid of it. It's what I wanted. And I knew the failure was a part of the process to get me there. I was more afraid of 
the opinions and judgments of other people yeah. if if I looked silly, if I failed in a weird way, you mm-hmm. know, it's like about what they would say about me. And so I took a long time to overcome that. But the thing that motivates me on how I motivate myself, it comes down to really probably two things. One, will I be proud of myself with the results and the person I'm becoming? Will I be mm. proud at the end of the day? And two, will I make people proud of me when I'm no longer here? Will they be proud? The mm. people that cared about me the most, will they say, you know what? That's a model and a, and a man that I'm inspired by. And I think, what is it going to take for me to be proud of myself? And if I die tomorrow, that others would be proud to talk about me, then I feel like that's a pretty good life. It is. So what's the next step for you? What's next in the pipeline? Because I know, as you said, you're always growing. And again, you know, our, we, we think I'm going to do this, but then our potential expands as we yeah. move towards it. So we can never know what we can be what our potential is because it moves constantly (laughs) but that's just a great that's a great thing every year moves yeah yeah. every day the thing that i think about is like what's the impossible that seems so unrealistic Mm -hmm. and what is it i don't know fully yet but the mission has been to reach 100 million people weekly to Mm -hmm. help them improve their life wow and so it's that is one thing reaching like accomplishing that 100 million weekly we're probably 15 million monthly Mm -hmm. right now so how do we get that to 100 million a month, Yeah. then 100 million a week? It seems so big, but it also seems like very possible yeah, for certain things Yeah, because you happen. think big, yeah. So that's one thing. Um, and and that I, must keep you very motivated because yeah, you're it's thinking like, of the numbers. What do I need to do? How do I yeah. need to, who do I need to become? What skill? Yeah. Who do I need to hire? Like, what do I need to do to get there? Yeah, so what you're doing is you're always in expansion. Absolutely. You see, that's what I see with you. You, you don't expand and contract. I've done that, so no. don't do anything else. I've done that, so that's it. You, you expand. You're always expanding <sighs> towards What else yeah, can I what's be proud next? of? Yeah. Because just because I've become something greater doesn't mean I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Like, there's always more I can contribute of and offer. So yeah. every year I think about the thing that like, man, what is really scary or seems like impossible or just like so unrealistic? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, shoot, we got to go try to figure that out. We got to go try to do it. Yeah, if we fail, then we fail. But yeah. who do we become in that process? I think that's the thing that I'm yeah. inspired by. And you can't really fail. The only risk right. in life is not to take the risk. That's yeah. when you're failing to take a risk is when you fail. If you yeah. take a risk and it doesn't work, you learn something. Absolutely. And we've all done that. But I, lo- I love the meme. There's a meme online, um, like a quote with a baby that says something like, you know, babies fall like a thousand times or thousands of times yeah. in, their, in their childhood learning to walk, from of crawling course. to walking. And at no point does a baby say, maybe this walking thing isn't for me. Yeah. They never say, no, nah, I'm just going to crawl the rest of my life. Yeah, they I have a, always yeah. figure it out. I have a picture of my daughter the first time I think I gave her a yogurt to eat herself. Yogurt? Yeah, yogurt, sorry, yogurt. <laughs> yogurt. And it's in her hair, it's on her chin, it's on her clothes. She got very little of it in her mouth, but she had great fun trying. But no baby says, I can't get to grips with this eating. I'm going to stop you. Eating. do it. You just have to feed me the rest of my life. You know, no baby says, I never quite got to learn how to pee in a toilet. It was just too complicated. Yeah, we wear a diaper my whole life. Yeah, yeah. you know, we learn half of what we learn in our whole life before we're five years old which is extraordinary but yeah and I tell that to people too look you were born wired to succeed at walking talking getting up standing up 
and you haven't lost that. It's still in you, and you can reactivate it, regenerate it, and remanifest it if you only knew how. But so many people have that thing. It's so hard to change. No, it's hard. It's much harder to stay the same. Yeah. It's so scary to risk. No, it's scary not to risk. And we wonder where all these crazy statements come from that make people stay in their shell. You know, mm. I, I used to tell my um, classes about the crabs and lobsters, that crabs and lobsters get to a stage where they will die in their shell. Literally, they're, they're too big for the shell, so they have to make a decision. Well, I'm going to have to shed this shell or die. And some of them are so scared they, they just die, oh, yeah. and the others get out of it, but they're very delicate they've got a membrane and they bury that's why soft shell crabs are so expensive you've got to go and dig them up because they hide Mm. until the new shell comes back you think well if a crab and a lobster can take a risk why can't (laughs) you they risk their life just to come out of their shell yeah and grow a bigger one it's it's painful being broke yeah uh, and playing small that's painful it's painful to train and be, yeah. you know, and make money or build a business and sure. have a great relationship, you have to deal with a lot of things to get there. Either way, there's pain. Yeah. So which one do you want? And most people don't die regretting what they did. They die regretting what they didn't do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you did it and it was wrong or embarrassing or human. It matters well, if you think. At least you did it. At least I tried. I tried. gave it my all. Didn't work out. Exactly. Yeah. So more questions for you because. I find a big misconception is that you can't have it all. Nobody can have it all. Something's got to give. There was that great movie called Something's Got to Give. And even if you can have it all, you can't have it all all the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's true because I certainly have it all. It took me a long time. But I have a wonderful relationship, great career, wonderful relationship with my daughter and her partner. And I know that you have a great career, you fit, you look good, and you've got a beautiful relationship too. So... How do you have it all? Do you believe you have it all? And how do you have it all and keep it? I think, uh, I think I'm very grateful for where, where I'm at in my life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm always going to want more of myself. Yeah. M- more of myself to expand. Mm-hmm. Whether that's acquiring and accomplishing more, like that'll be a part of it. It's not the mission. But I think that'll be a byproduct of like becoming a greater human being, developing myself, overcoming more challenges, serving more people. That'll be a byproduct, acquiring and accomplishing things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I think uh, the the goal is to to really it's to just know that I am everything that I need. It's whether I have it all or not, I yeah. am everything. Yeah. So you do have it all. I am everything, whether I'm in a great relationship yeah. or not. If I'm yeah. single, I still have everything that yeah. I need and I appreciate it. And, and I can have it all. Maybe it's not going to be all in every moment. Maybe yeah. there's going to be a breakdown. Maybe there's going to be a breakup. Maybe there's going to be a health scare, but I can always get back to a place of feeling whole and complete yeah. and the feeling of I have everything I need. Yeah, so that means and, you have it all. Because you have, have all. everything you yeah. need. Yeah. And I think when I'm in, in scarcity or oh, I'm lacking something, then that's a reflection that I'm missing something within myself. Like, yeah. I, I tell my girlfriend, like, listen, if we don't work out in the future, I hope we're together forever, but if for whatever reason you want to break up with me we don't work out, I'm going to be happy for you and I'm going to be happy for me. Yeah. Because... It wasn't meant to be. Yeah. If, if we didn't want to be together, I don't want to force something. Yeah. So I'm going to be happy with where I'm at. And I'm going to find another partner that's going to elevate my happiness. Yeah. But as long as I have it all within myself. Yeah. Then I feel good. 
But I do think you can have it all. I just don't know if you can always have it all. Well, it took I think, you yeah. a long time. It's, it took you know, me a lot of time. It's yeah. taking me time. And I think there's still not everything that I want to create, but I'm happy with where I'm at. It took me time, though, because I didn't know then what I know now. If right. I'd known what I know now when I was 20, I would have had it all when I was 25. But right. maybe you're not supposed to. But it, it takes a while. That's why I say, well, listen, I did everything the wrong way around. I was a single parent. <laughs> I got married when I was 50. Wow. I did everything. The, but it doesn't matter. It's like climbing a mountain. You get to the top, you've got the same view, however mm-hmm. you got up there. Mm-hmm. But I love saying to people, look, don't, you don't have to do what I did take a long time and do everything the wrong way around you can start really early but it's a shame people don't believe they they say things like well if I have a great career my relationship will suffer mm. I won't be there present for my kids and if right. I've got a great relationship I won't be able to put time into a business so some mm-hmm. people willingly give up a relationship to devote themselves to their career or give up a career because yeah. like, oh, I'd be a terrible mom and they don't understand that you can have everything I think you can have everything if you you really schedule your time well. Yeah. Because I I noticed that my health was not like the way I wanted it to be. I still feel fit and everything, but I was like, you know what? I need to schedule it. I'm going to schedule it at 7 a.m. Yeah. And I'm just, it means I have to go to bed early. It means I can't watch Netflix. Yeah. And Spanish isn't priority to mm. me right now, so that's going to be at 8 a.m. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I have to schedule things, and I'm going to work a certain amount. That means I'm going to hire someone else who can replace my time. You yeah. just have to reorganize your time and your schedule and really plan carefully yeah. in order to have it all. Yeah, it's certainly a choice. I mean, people don't understand that, that actually when you say, I choose to go to bed early, right. I choose to get up, I choose to schedule in my work, I choose right. to schedule in my meditation, you're making a choice. Absolutely. And then it's easy when you go, I've got to do that, and right. I can't find the time or make the time. You don't, nobody finds time, you create you it. You create it, you schedule it. Yeah. You prioritize it. So you're a good role model. You're showing people that you can bounce back from mm. your dream was shattered at 23 your childhood wasn't the idyllic white picket fence the all-american boy that was adored it wasn't mm. really look might have looked like that but it wasn't at all right. but here you are you have the bounce back factor and you feel the fear and you keep going absolutely so what would you, if the audience are looking at you and i hope they are and seeing wow i can learn a lot from mm. lewis because the dream died. You see, Goethe said something, I love every stage is a dream that's dying or one that is coming to birth. Ooh, every thought, stage is a dream, dream that's is a dream dying. that's dying or one that is coming to birth. Yeah, so when your dream died, a new one came to birth. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's a beautiful saying and it's so true. So what would be the advice that you'd give to someone whose dream is dying? Oh, Or has died? I would say don't beat yourself up. Number one, mm-hmm. I think when my dream died, yeah. I was holding on to it. I was like in denial mode. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, this is not true. Like, I'm going to go figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to heal my, I'm going to command my wrist to like heal from the yeah. surgery. Like, and that didn't work, right? It just took longer and longer for me to heal. <clears throat> and I was in denial and I was holding on to the identity that, mm-hmm. that made me feel confident. Yeah. And so the first thing is, I would say to um, accept that there's going to be a transition yeah. and there might be a grieving period. Actually, uh, funnily enough, sorry, but that is the, the stages of grief. For the first stage is denial. This right. hasn't happened. Really? <laughs> this person's not really dead. They're going to turn up. I right. can't even d- delete their number from my right. phone. This I'm, person didn't break denial. up with me. Or, yeah, yeah. And then you come to kind of grief, 
and then you come to often rage and then mm. acceptance and then moving on and you can't you have to go through those stages people try to like go straight to the let's get over it move on pretend it right. never happened you got to go through the grief the sadness the mourning of the loss yeah it's very significant you have to mourn a loss and when you've done that then then you so what you did was actually the most normal thing in the world just it, it hasn't happened i can't believe it and then gradually you come to accept it. Yeah. And for me, it took a while. It took about a year and a half until I was able to like, okay, I'm moving on. Yeah. And maybe I wish it would have happened quicker than that. I was doing other things during that time as well. I was mm. reaching out to mentors. But it took about a year and a half till I was finally like, all right, that's, it still hurts. I wish I had this, but it's not there, so I'm moving on. But if you could look back at your life now and could <clears throat> change it, would you? Nah, yeah. I don't want to change anything. Isn't that great? Me too. I look back and think I'm so glad that my first bit, the first 10 minutes wasn't perfect. I'm glad I wasn't yeah. the favorite child because it makes you so determined to do something. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's things I wasn't proud of that I would have like, mm. yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But I'm like, it all taught me something yeah. to who I'm at now. And it makes me more humble now. I think so for me, it'd be that stage. And then I'm just a big fan of having support. Yeah not trying to do the next thing on your own when your life is shattered or your dream mm -hmm. is shattered or your whatever relationship has shattered sitting at home is something i did by myself did not work analyzing ruminating on my thoughts saying i'm stupid this was why did i do that i should have did this thing differently that did not work finding support and getting out mm. there uh, it's probably why aa is so powerful for people it's because you have support, yeah, the support. The support so i reached network. out to that's why i started doing activities i started salsa dancing after then and i felt like okay i'm around happy people who are dancing i'm getting active i found mentors and coaches who are inspiring and they were giving me feedback i threw myself another fear was public speaking because i was afraid to be uh, made fun of so right after that i joined public speaking class every week for a year and went all in on public speaking because I could not stand in front of three people mm -hmm. and talk for five minutes yeah. without stuttering and playing small. And nobody would believe that now. I could Isn't not. That funny, I could yeah. not. And there's so many people from that club called Toastmasters that I joined who remember me as this 23, 24 year old punk, mm. terrified. Yeah. Like unable to speak in front of a neutral environment yeah. where it's all about positive feedback. Sure. Terrified. The first speech was five minutes long. It took me two weeks to prepare for a five-minute speech because wow. I was like, what am I going to talk about? Mm. What's interesting about my life? I don't know. What, what am I supposed to say? And by showing up every week for a year, I remember it just got better and better little by little. And by the end of the year, I was like, oh, I'm a confident speaker now. Yeah. So finding those support, finding those coaches, finding friends. I mean, that for me, when I integrated myself back into the, the world and not just as a shell of myself and my, mm. uh, where I was staying, then I was able to get out there and start applying myself. So what are your three tips to master your mind? If you had to, could only pick three, three of your favorite tips, hacks that have uh, worked for you, <clears throat> that have helped you to master your the, mind. Number one is to heal your shame, heal your trauma, your shame, mm -hmm. your pain, your anger, heal the big T, little T traumas of the past. Okay. Focus on that because I feel like we are, uh, my life was consumed by my traumas, my reactions, because mm. my, my mind was not healthy. I didn't okay. have the tools on how to communicate in environments that made me feel defensive, guarded, angry, reactive. And so when events consume and affect my mind so much, I don't have the power over my mind. 
So learning how to heal, forgive myself, forgive yeah. other people, all that stuff, that'd be step one. Heal the past. Step two would be uh, make a list of my biggest fears and mm. go all in on those fears. I believe every time I do that, it just adds another like tool on my tool belt of confidence. Yeah. And I feel like, oh, here's a situation that's uncomfortable. Oh, but I've got this tool that I can whip out here and use this, and I've got this strategy, and I've got this coping mechanism, whatever. Mm. And I feel confident in more situations in life when I overcome different fears. Uh, and then the third one, I would say to uh, master your mind is to be of service. I think um, when you're of service to other people, it doesn't matter how much, I think it was Roosevelt that said, it doesn't matter how, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And one of the greatest superpowers is caring about other people yeah. because they will show up for you, they'll fight for you, they'll do anything for you, they'll help you if they feel like you care about them. Yeah. And, and they, that's a mindset in my yeah. opinion. That's, a, that's an ability sure. to get out of a selfish mm-hmm. mindset of like, what can I get for me and how can I contribute and give to others? So I would say those are my three tips. And Maya Angelou said people won't remember what you did. They remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Absolutely. And you make them feel good. So if you had a theme song, what would it be? If you had to walk on stage to a song or open your... uh, The first thing that came up to me was, don't worry, be happy. Yeah, yeah. Just I like the whistle, that, sh- that yeah. whistle, yeah. Yeah, I like the Shalimar song. That song by Shalimar, I Can Make You Feel Good. Okay, that's good. Or Fat Boy Slim, I Need to Praise You. Oh, that's like good. Like I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought yours would be like a virgin, you know, Madonna. Oh, like a virgin. No, I'm a bit, bit no, not, definitely not like <laughs> a virgin. Yeah. No, I, I love songs that have a message. I love yeah. um, Praise You. That's yeah, Praise You's favorite. good. Fight yeah. Song, Rachel yeah. Platten, Fight Song. Yeah. She was near here. Yeah. And it's a new day, it's a new Ooh, dawn, and I'm feeling good. Or don't stop me now, I'm having a good time. Yeah, My Way, yeah, Frank my Sinatra, way. is I it My Way? Song. So yeah. good. Yeah, and having the time of my life from mm. Dirty Dancing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been great to yeah. have you. Thank and you. You've given really good answers. I'm so it. pleased. So where can they? Where can we find you? Where can we find out more School about you? School of Greatness podcast or just Lewis Howes on YouTube or Lewis Howes anywhere online. And Instagram? Lewis Howes, anywhere online, lewishowes.com. Are you yeah. the only Lewis Howes? It's I, so great when no there, one else has your name. There might be a couple English Lewis Houses, maybe. But not There's many. There's very few. Oh, good. Very few houses that I'm aware of. Mm. Every now and then I got someone say, oh, you got the same last name as me. Mm. That'll message me, but I don't know if there's another Lewis House. So Lewis House, you're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Yes. School of Greatness. It's yes. a great title too. So self-explanatory. Thank you. Well, thanks it. for coming on. I've appreciate learned a lot, really a lot. It's been amazing. Thank you. Of course. Thank, thank you thank so you. much. Amazing. Thank you for listening to Master Your Mind with Marissa. I'm Marissa Peer, founder and creator of Rapid Transformational Therapy, known as RTT. RTT is my life's work and passion combined into a unique and proven program for therapists to create powerful change with their clients. I feel blessed every day to see the transformations it brings and the ripple effect it's creating in the therapy world. To find out more, visit rtt.com.